You're listening to the Metamaniacs Show, the show for and by trading card game maniacs. Check out our website, metamaniacs.com, for video episodes and more great TCG content. If you enjoy the show, you can get expanded episodes and more extras by supporting us through Patreon for as low as $2 a month. Check out patreon.com slash metamaniacs to learn more. Now, on to the show. Card Game Maniacs, as usual, I'm your host, Dan, and today I am joined by Mike Piper. Hey, everyone. We have Jordan Syverson. Hello. And Kevin Kerrigan. <laughs> nice. This, uh, today, it's it's Halloween week, so today we're giving you guys our special Halloween spooktacular for episode 13, which I didn't even realize was, like, lining up the way it did until just a few minutes ago. So, <laughs> That's um, pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Fantastic. So today, Today, what we want to do is we're we're just going to talk about a variety of spooky TCG related things, from our favorite spooky themes and card games to horror stories of uh, trading card game related activities. So, um, this this was also recommended to us by Kevin. So, I'm going to let Spooky Kevin and his Jason mask over there lead the way. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, that's probably the costume I'm most proud of. That is a full Jason face hood. And it was sweaty under there. <laughs> I, I imagine. Um, yeah, so um, I thought it would be just a fun idea in the spirit of the season, which Halloween is my favorite holiday, for those who don't know, um, to talk about uh, scary things related to card games. And one idea that I really liked is scary metas. A meta that for one reason or another that you just hated to play or just was a pain to deal with. And I've, I've thought about it for a while, and as far as just, like, the most absolutely oppressive, unfun meta that I've personally experienced, obviously I'm sure there's others that are worse, but for me personally, it was the Mecha Frieza in, uh, format in Dragon Ball Super, which I want to say was around set four, Mike, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, that, those were some dark times. They had a regional. They had a Mike's regional. visibly scared. 500 <laughs> people, 500 plus people in the regional, and like 400 plus ran Mecha Frieza. So no, it wasn't yeah. oppressive at all. <laughs> For those crazy. who don't know. I won't go into the specifics, but this was really, I think, the turning point for Dragon Ball, or it kind of, for Super, that it turned into this really fast, really aggro, abusive, kind of like, find an archetype, find a strategy, abuse the hell out of it. And basically, Mecha Frieza was the first leader that could consistently awaken on turn one, and it basically got so bad that if you weren't running Mecha Frieza, you were losing. And I expe I experienced it firsthand at uh, Pro Play Games down in Miami, because I'm in Florida, so it's only like an hour away from me, had a super release event for Crossworlds, and that was right in the midst of Mecha Frieza. And I was playing my 1718 deck, which I played from set two all the way until way past its prime, just because I really liked that leader. And it was, and it wasn't just me, because I was playing a rogue deck, even other people playing other tier one decks, even other Mecha Frieza players were, it was honestly the least fun, worst experience I have had playing a card game, where every match was a miserable slog and everyone hated it. <laughs> So I, I take it that the mirror match between Frieza and Frieza was not super enjoyable. 
<laughs> yeah, and like, and also, a lot of the cards used to build Mecha Frieza were kind of expensive. So it, it was also that barrier in front of it, which is where Dragon Ball really started having a lot of that. They eventually did a Rata Mecha Frieza, but by the time that happened, it was already old news. So it didn't sure. really affect much. And yet, yeah, like Dan said, uh, sorry, like uh, Mike said, that big event that happened right around that time, it was just a Mecha Frieza nightmare. There, there are a couple of elements that can contribute to a metagame being just terrible, right? It's one thing if a deck is, a, you know, the lion's share of the meta. Um, that's like, that in itself doesn't necessarily invalidate a metagame. Um, but, and I'm going to, I'm going to cite where some people may think this was a nightmare meta, but I really loved it was the, in Magic, the, the, um, let's see, Shards of Alara Zendikar meta where Jund was the major deck that got played. Um, personally, I played Jund a lot then, and when I played a Jund mirror, I had an absolute blast because you're just like casting things and they would cascade into other things. There's a lot of like randomness and just like kind of flip the coin, like hope I get the good card here that I need to kill you or whatever. Um, and, uh, you both, you know, they're mid-range decks and I think a lot of people in card games just enjoy mid-range decks to, because that lets you kind of play the, the gamut of fast aggressive things fun controlling things in the middle and, and there's a little more play to the game interaction between players whereas it sounds like with this mecha frieza it's just turn one is my big turn and if i get my stuff then you know you're in a bad position yeah it, it was borderline Yu-Gi-Oh levels of solitaire yeah yeah and and Yu-Gi-Oh is a game that has definitely been defined at many points by um have metagames that are defined by particular decks as well. And those decks are like first turn kill, one turn kill decks. And if you um, can't interact with them, which in Yu-Gi-Oh, because the like, un well, more, you know, I'd say about halfway through the game's current lifespan, they started adding more like interaction from hand so that you could just go, oh, discard this, stop your thing. But for yeah, a, hand the majority interaction is you had to have a turn first to put a trap down which I think we talked about the last one is a mechanic I really like, but it means that if the deck is pushing, if, if uh, the game is pushing really aggressive one turn things, then you can't really interact with them. Yeah. So, yeah. Get so um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great um, horror story to bring up Kevin, because I think everyone listening who has played a TCG for a long time can cite at least one metagame in a game where they've thought, man, this just, is not good. We need something to happen. Um, if Black you played Curling Magic recently, yeah, yeah, I was going to bring that up. If, yeah, if, if you played Magic recently, they've had to ban some things pretty quickly because some things have gotten off the rails a little bit, and there have been some. Although I don't, I wouldn't say those were as oppressive as this Mecha Frieza meta, but like, there's still things that crop up that are like, man, I just like as soon as they drop that Omnath or whatever, I'm pretty much out of the game if I can't answer it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jordan, you go ahead and talk about Namekian Piccolo if you want. Uh, actually, I didn't have too much of a problem with the Namekian Piccolo. It was the blue Piccolo. Because Namekian oh. Piccolo, it wasn't the best to play against. And it was a good deck, but it was at least fun to play against. Like, they did, they actually did stuff, unless you're Chris Danzel, hashtag called out. Then you just enter <laughs> combat with blocks in your hand and wait for the opponent to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right? This is, yeah, um, we're not... talking about Panini Dragon Ball Z, to clarify. And I want to I want to check with you, Jordan. Pre-Errata, set one Namekian Piccolo. Oh, that's what you meant. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that that was bonkers broken. Very, very difficult to win against with anything that wasn't also Namekian Piccolo. Unless you're yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and Knowledge Pickle, Piccolo literally won the Fan Z event yesterday. So that deck I was gonna is bring still that up good. Too. He's back. <laughs> He's back. He's back, baby. <laughs> yeah, but ever since they eradicated the mastery, then it, you know, and that's the thing is like a lot of the times when you get these nightmare metagames, um, if the company's willing to banner errata, which they should be if they're interested in the health of their game and people playing their game, um, then usually that'll happen. And, and Magic has gotten a lot faster at pre pulling the trigger on banning things recently, but um, that's largely because people play, a lot of people don't think about this, but with Arena now, people play magnitudes more Magic than they ever used to in the past you have one week i Absolutely. i was kind of at some point i was thinking i want to go like try and run the numbers on this but i i'm pretty sure in one week of a set being live these days you probably have the at least the equivalent if not more of like an entire like three month cycle of of gameplay tournament gameplay because of arena and magic online and then oh, you used to yeah they get so yeah. much data so mm -hmm. it's it's really easy to go after a week and be like well Okay, it looks like Omnath is pretty busted. We'll just, whereas, like before, they would have been like the next set would have been coming out. They've been like, oh, we really should think about like banning this maybe, or or like let's make sure an answer is in the next set. But you just you can't um, have people playing that much Magic for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks with this card that's being oppressive and, and creating a nightmare. It's also game. important to note that with something like that, it's very beneficial as well because there's no condensed clustered meta. Like, before, people generally played a bulk of their games or tournament games, like, near where they're at. So sometimes there would be metas that wouldn't appear. Not because they aren't good, but just because people aren't playing them and they could be a problem. It's just not everyone. But with something like online, you're getting the whole world together. Yeah. So, like, you'll the things that are really oppressive will rise to the top a lot faster than if you have a bunch of spotty people that are like, well, these people just don't play black, so... They're skewing the results of what that you know obscene black deck it may or may not be doing. Absolutely. The cream rises to the top. <laughs> Generally, they make their changes when it comes to erratas and bans on big tournaments because of that. Like the the players that are willing to travel, that's when they say, "Oh, something bad's going on." But with Magic, yeah, with online, like you're, you're finding that out in less than a week. You're like, "Oh, this is bad news." So, yeah, and like. Black yep. Krillin is the one that's probably the least fun to play on the, the Panini, just because he has he has he has amazing fun mechanics. Like you can't do anything about this attack, and you discard your hand. Fun. Yeah, and, and they screwed up the printing because his promo leader was different than the normal one, and that's what made it busted. And they never fixed it. Yeah. You know. Actually, I think you're bringing up a great topic I want to talk about, too. We can transition to another nightmare element of card games. But um, a lot of card games have, again, this, we're going to go back to like standing on the shoulders of giants here because Magic has worked to eliminate mechanics like this pretty frequently. Um, but uh, not necessarily eliminate, but depower or shift when they can be played. But a lot of card games feature mechanics where you get to basically stop your opponent from playing the game. And in measure, yeah. those are great. But when they're when they're a little too much gets through the filter, right? Or they get a little too soon, or they hit a critical mass or something. Discard decks, mana control, energy control decks, whatever that kind of stuff, where your your whole strategy is you don't get to play anymore. I'm just going to play and I'll win eventually. Those are generally thought of by people as the least fun mechanics in a card game to be able to play. Because yeah. if people are playing a card game, they want to play cards, you know? Shocker. Yeah. I had a... That's 100% true. 
I had a I was one of those mean people in Magic where I had a black discard deck in like the prime. And nice. it was and I felt disgusting, so I stopped playing it, and then I did something arguably worse. And because uh, me and my friends kitchen table, this is before modern became a thing. We were essentially playing modern because we would buy cards after they dropped out of standard because it was more affordable for us. We couldn't buy a lot of cards. Yep. But uh, so we just played with whatever cards were in our collections. And I built a blue deck where every card except for the mana had the words counter on it somewhere and not add counters like counter a spell. And there was a bunch yep. of mean ones that like counter a spell and like play a copy of that creature and like do a bunch of that stuff, so every card was just, like, counter, so my opponent just literally didn't get to play anything, ever. And it was... I felt Mike, bad, and then I dismantled that deck. <laughs> Mike, your, your Fuse Masu deck feels like it's sort of leaning towards this area in, in Dragon Ball Super, where you just <laughs> stop your opponent's attacks constantly. Or, like, the new SS4 Vegeta, right? Who's, like, your whole deck is negate attack, negate attack, counterplay, whatever. That's the baby Vegeta, yeah, where it's just oh, like... Oh, baby Vegeta, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not going to let Vegeta. you play, I'm just going to shut you down, and then, yeah. Um, the just control know deck. the deck. Yeah, just control decks. There are <laughs> counters to them, though. Absolutely. There are counters to them, because otherwise, if there wasn't, that deck would be constantly winning. And, I mean, super aggro, if, you know, you can get them before they even have a chance to get started, or... um. Even, like, some of your uh, mid-range, like, I know Gotenks is doing really well, because mm -hmm. they, they get out that Cell Zeno, and they just say, oh, I get to rip three cards from your hand, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't deflect it, you can't do anything. I just get to rip three I, cards, so. I, I remember when I played Star Wars Destiny for a hot minute that uh, mm -hmm. mill decks in that game were the worst. Yeah, they were not was fun. so I... oppressive in that game. I agree with you completely, Kevin. Destiny was a game that used a 30-card deck, um, first of oh, all. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> yeah, your, your card draw was a lot idea. smaller, right? Well, no, but, but with mill deck, it's, yeah. <laughs> that's right. mean. And, you know, it's, it's all in measure, right? So it's not like they had a card that's like mill 10. That wasn't a thing that happened. But you had characters who had dice sides that just allowed you to, and abilities that just allowed you to incrementally mill a card here, a card there, whatever, and you just kind of ground out the game and stayed alive and and that's the exact kind of thing that people really dislike playing against. And uh, Destiny just had it a yeah, little I over think, I think any deck that wins by not losing is the worst to play against. Janemba. Sure. Yes. Yeah, exactly. People hate Janemba and DBS too. It's like just, people just want to, like I said, play the game. And when you sit there and go, nah, I'm just going to... Eventually, I'll win if you just yeah. sit here. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not a, exciting or fun. You're going to beat me. It's like, I'm just going to sit here, and eventually, I'll get you. So it's, it's Slightly so off topic, but draw, that's interesting. Draw, mill two, pass. One of, the, one of the like fundamentals in my brain when I play card games is don't play to win, play to not lose. And that carries over from my RTS background, because that's what a lot of RTS players do, is like everyone... They they say that uh, like you'll lose an RTS mainly because you're trying too hard to win and not focusing on what you need to do to not lose. So like I brought that over to my mm -hmm. card games. So, like when I approach card games too, I always I mean I don't don't get me wrong. I like to win and I try to win. But like if my back's against the wall, I'm not trying to figure out how I can beat them quickly. I'm trying to figure out how to not lose to them immediately at all times. Like yeah. They run out of resources. It's and if you're yeah. That long game, yep. And uh, um, a perfect. Oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead 
I'm going to say, perfect example, and take a shot, because I'm going to talk about fighting games, is uh, the best strategies in fighting games, especially really hyper-aggressive ones like Marvel, is not letting your opponent play. Virgil. Zero. That's why they jokingly refer to it as a single-player game, or, oh, it's zero, time to watch a movie until you die. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and that's a great example, too. And I just wanted to piggyback off of this because, Jordan, I think that's really fantastic advice. But one thing that people have to be aware of is what your means of doing is to, to not lose. Because this is where it's a trap that a lot of people who get into magic early fall into where they look at life gain spells and they're like, oh, man, I'm going to stay alive and then I'll win. And the thing is, you still have to you still have to win the game at some point, right? Like, it doesn't do you any good to sit there and get They're not going to die on their own. <laughs> right. Imagine yeah. there's no alternate win con. Like, well, they, they can know out, I guess. But, like, um, it's, it's in magic. That's going to take so long if you're not actively trying to make it happen that your opponent will eventually win. And that, that comes down to the fact that creatures in this game are... are free value towards winning the game every time they get to crack in and attack. So like if I'm playing a life gain deck and I go, I play my spell, I gain five life. My opponent puts down a one, one creature and hits me five times with it. They've negated my card, but that creature still exists. If they put down a five, five mm. creature and hit me once and then hit me a second time. Now they're like a card ahead. If we're comparing my life gain card to their damage card. Right. Yeah. So you just, you can't exactly fight that, but the key is to be thinking about your outs when you're playing and to build decks where you, your elements uh, of control in the deck will help, will answer the things that will cause you to lose. And that's where I think Jordan, your advice is, is golden to be thinking about that when you're deck building, how can I prevent my opponent from doing the thing that will screw me over? You know? Funny enough to kind of call you out. That's a mentality that I learned from you actually, when I started playing card games around here is playing to your outs. And then I've, over the years, I've kind of merged my old like RTS mentality and that mentality into a, a like fine middle ground. I, and I think people should definitely um, take that advice and, and think about things from that angle. So and then thinking, sure. yeah, and then thinking clearly and knowing when to pivot from find your out and win, and then transition back into like play to not lose. Like it'll shift back and forth over the course of a game. You got to know yeah. when to like switch modes, essentially. You That's know what? The TCG game sense. You know what? I'm yeah, just, just going to collect all seven Dragon Balls. We'll just do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of my problem in the last retro event with my Earth Terry deck. It was great at not dying, not so great at winning. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I actually made... Yeah, with the Fuse of Mossy deck, I had to do that. It was great at surviving, but then I was sitting there asking myself, I'm like, do I have a win con? And I'm like, uh, not really. So I had to really make some adjustments and, and put a win con in there. Because, like, I'm great at surviving. Oh, geez, little Argo decks? Oh, yeah, it's going to be a 30, 40-minute match. But I'm like, in the end, what do I have to push for game? Right. So I had to make quite a few adjustments to it. I was like, all right, well, let's add this, take this out, and yeah. So Exactly. Okay, I want to transition us a little bit because I know we guys have some more spooky type stories to tell here. And I think Jordan wanted to talk about an interesting topic, which is nightmare <laughs> trades. Yes. So I'm going to call out Dan yet again because uh, it was one of the worst <laughs> trades I've ever done in history. But at the time, it seemed like a good idea. So the uh, topic, the topic I want to bring up is uh, the nightmare of trading before cards really have a settled value so this was 
set one Panini DBZ. It's a Wild West. It's literally like, I think it was like a weekend we were playing. I opened a Heroic Energy Sphere, and Dan wanted a Heroic Energy Sphere, and I kind of was looking more at the the Heroic Plan, or what was it? Was it heroic, heroic plan? Heroic plan? Oh no! Yeah, and I was like, "Oh man!" And this is before any values. This is before everyone found out that heroic energy sphere was going to be like a sixty, seventy dollar oh. card. No, and... no, no. We played score. We knew that card was godlike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a new game. And to be fair, the like Goku's plan or whatever, and like score game was also real good. But there wasn't the cards to support it in the Panini game, so it wasn't as good. But at the time, we were both just like. They're both ultra rares. Sounds good to me. So we did the one for one trade. The old one for Holy one. Fast, oh, fast forward to like two weeks later, and I'm like, oh no, what did I do? And it made it even worse that to this day, I have never pulled a heroic energy sphere. I've pulled some villainous ones and some other stuff, but I <laughs> never again got another heroic energy sphere. I had to buy them. I have only ever owned one in my life. <laughs> I had to buy two, and here's the, the two part to this horror story. I bought them a week before the game was announced dead. Oh, oh no! Granted, Those are the set seven reprint ones. It was, but here's the thing. I was like, "Oh, this is a great deal," because the guy was giving me like, I think he just he had too many, and he was just like, "I just you know need money for whatever." So he was giving them to me for forty dollars a piece. So I was like, "This is twenty bucks off the regular, awesome!" And then a week and a half later, the game dies and the price plummets to like fifteen dollars a piece. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that yeah. is definitely spooky. <laughs> I'm, I'm spooked just hearing that story and yeah that's why that's actually why dan if you notice like after a new set of anything comes out any big cards i don't really trade right away i'm like i'll yeah. wait i'll wait a little bit just because i want to make sure i don't make the same mistake yeah yeah <laughs> yeah especially in games where the prices swing so wildly like dbs like you really got to hold on to stuff to see yeah. where it lands yeah one of the biggest vice or biggest suggestions I have is buy cards when they're super cheap. If they're really good but they don't have no support for it, buy it because eventually they will get support and they will go up. Like I still remember to this day when I was at regionals or not re nationals, Dragon Ball Super Nationals, and uh, I was doing the video for Metamaniacs. I was like, "Hey, I'm at nationals." They had the go. They had the ape. You know, the apes to draw you to. They they were selling them for fifteen dollars each. Oof. Oh my god! <laughs> they're still eighty dollar cards, is that right? Eighty, but they're still eighty dollar cards. They went yeah. down a little bit. They were like yeah. one hundred twenty, hundred thirty, but oh yeah, fifteen dollars each. And it's a lot. If you, you know, the thing is, you just got to ask yourself: you're like, is this a good card? Yes. Maybe it doesn't have the support for it now, but is it going to yeah. get there? Then buy it. Like so, especially things that are just so generically good that you can plug into any deck and they work. Yeah, that's, yep. that's part of the reasons I picked up some of the key, like, I mean, they're still kind of high price now in UFS, but I was bargain hunting for them. I've got my playset of Nutcrackers and Ghostly Funerals. I think I got them both around like $30 a card, which is a great price even now. But the reason why I wanted nice. to get them for sure is because I know when MHA hits and the new Street Fighter set hits and the, the Yu Yu Hakusho second set drops... They're probably going to skyrocket because I can already see Midoriya. Everyone's going to be like, "Gotta run Nutcrackers!" Oh snap! And there's going to be that is it. Oh yeah, sorry. Last Allegedly. Friday, 
Jason said that there's a Street Fighter set coming. He didn't say when, he just said it's coming. I missed that. Oh, snap, he did? Yeah, he mentioned but Street not, Fighter. not the miniature game, UFS. Yes, he mentioned there's a Street Fighter set. He also confirmed that the Dark Tournament set for Yu Show is coming. He said soon, and then immediately after saying soon, he said not too soon, though, because there's at least one or two sets that will come out before it. Oh my gosh. Well, I really he also put some Street Fighter V characters in there. I also, want to play G's so bad. Since <laughs> we're here, I'll just drop it because I know you probably didn't hear it then. Um, they all, he also said there's a very good chance they're going to drop a set before the end of the year. Uh, since My Hero isn't coming, it'll probably be Red Horizon. But it, he, it could also be Street Fighter. I don't know how long they are on it. but I think they've been working on Red Horizon for a while, so it's probably that. Yeah. But uh, that's awesome here. And yeah, that's the same reason that uh, like a year ago I got my Nutcrackers specifically for Deku. Yeah, because I know it's the price is going to jump because Deku and like All Might for sure are probably going to be like mm-hmm. clutch Nutcracker users. And it's going to be bonkers and it's going to skyrocket in price. So I'm like, better pick this up. And then you Ghost gotta, Thief. You got to hold on to your nuts. And Ghost Thief is a really good card too. And I imagine someone's going to use, you know, something with it. It's It's yeah. just a bonkers card on its own. So. Well, I personally am excited for that Yu Yu Hakusho Dark Tournament set, even though I still haven't gotten that far in the anime. I'm I just, so hyped for it. I've enjoyed what we've seen oh so far. Oh my god. The Dark Tournament is like one of the best arcs in all of anime, period. It's I've gold. heard that from multiple people. I So I, we're definitely going to get to it at some point. I've liked the show so far. It's nice, classic, um, classic anime with a Shoujo. kind of a spooky theme, which is Shonen. And oh, I, yeah, yeah, sorry, a, I want to use this as a pivot to talk about spooky themes in card games yeah. that you guys have liked. So obviously, like, I feel like Yu Yu Hakusho, even though it isn't like, you know, like horror exactly, it's themed around death and demons and everything. And it and really fits the, the bill well. And another one I want to bring up. Um, so I guess I would just want to say if if you're looking to build a fun Halloween themed deck for something, check out Universes, check out the Yu Yu Hakusho set that's currently out there because you can definitely get some cool stuff in there. Um, and all and, the Darkstalkers characters are based off uh, classic monsters. Oh yeah, you know what? Actually, I know so little about Darkstalkers that I never even really realized that. But now that you mention that, I'm just thinking about the ones I've seen in the game, and that makes sense. Yeah, like. I love I love that franchise Darkstalkers for when, but yeah, most of them are based off uh, classic monsters. Yep, like the Yeti, Vampire, Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Werewolf. Hmm. That is that's cool. That and okay, the name makes sense now too. Dark. I don't know why I like never even put the two together. <laughs> but <laughs> um, do you guys have any other card game themes that are spooky that you like? Yeah, yeah. there's the yes. the very little known unreleased. Dracula set for the Metacross card game. We have we have some files for a fan set. Yes. That, Wait, what? That's interesting. We talked about it a little bit, but not on the podcast or anything. Um, if if we ever get around to it, we might. Uh, I need to. I would basically want to commission some art and stuff. But we might put out a fan set for Metacross for um, that, which is like. But I say fan set. It it would be. Um, I've talked to Richie, the the lead developer, about like vetting it a little bit, and uh, it would be mostly designed. Um, by me and tested in house hoot and I was on the development team. So it would be, it, I, I definitely classify it as a fan set because I can't take like control of it. 
or anything, but it's like kind of closer to a real set. But um, no promises on when or if we'll get to that. But we have some pre preliminary work done on it. Nice. And I like Dracula. I like gothic horror. So that, oh, that yeah. is my, Same. my pick. No, I've got mine is spooky stories is what I've got. Well, okay, okay. Well, let's talk about some card game themes first. I know Kevin's got <laughs> yeah. some, and then we'll get to that. Yeah, um, I the the two that I picked, and I know I know we always uh, josh around and poke fun at Yu Gi Oh, but it was my first real card game, so it does have a have a place in my heart, and I still do like the game, and I I still observe it from afar. And um, but one of my favorite decks when I was actually actively playing the game when I was a lot younger was Zombies. I loved Zombie decks, and it was one of those few early decks where if you got three of the structured decks, you had a pretty solid deck because there was yeah. some good starter decks back then the, that's the starter deck that had like vampire lord in it and um yep. that was that was right after they made gemini monsters and zombie master was like the key that made that deck work if i remember right mm -hmm. so yeah that, yeah the so deck was really fun yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was very on theme. Of course, the zombies would come back from the graveyard, so I loved that. And then, not really a specific archetype, but as someone who loves horror, I've always loved the black color in magic. Whether it's zombies, vampires, unknown Cthulhu-type monsters, it's always been my favorite color in magic. Yeah, they like especially early on, they leaned into the horror really hard. You had cards like um like the Cy cyclopean tomb and you had the mm -hmm. you had like cthulhu like monsters as their demons and stuff and more classic like um i don't know yeah. christian style demons or whatever <laughs> yeah when uh once i think we talked about it the other week i started playing when i was really young when seventh edition came out and that was when they really had like especially for black really gross and creepy like almost like scary stories to tell in the dark if anyone remembers that book and those awesome illustrations that they had in there mm -hmm. it's very reminiscent of that i think magic um they, they've definitely they've they've um flirted with just like black has been the horror theme for a long time but then when they produced the set innistrad the they did the innistrad block and the innistrad plane that was um i think that was a, an extremely well-liked um setting for them to go but that's where they took all five colors and put them into a gothic horror setting and i like they completely nailed it uh in my opinion they had obviously black black and also blue were zombies where they had blue like mad wizards and and stuff creating like frankenstein monsters and and um mm -hmm. and uh blue also was getting like uh getting into that kind of cthulhu mythos with like thing from the deep and everything um Blue and white went heavy into ghosts and spirits, which made perfect sense with them. And and the big trick that they that kind of made them pull it all off was they introduced these transforming cards. So they had a card on either side. And since then, that's become basically like an evergreen mechanic that's come back every now and then in a new form. And um, when they introduced this, then they had werewolves that were like a human on one side. And they, they yeah. it was like, this is, in my opinion, one of the most like clean elegant genius systems for for creating the flavor of um of the werewolf uh becoming a werewolf at at night or whatever in that all of these werewolves had a mechanic on the front that said if at the end of a turn no spells were cast you flip it to its werewolf side so effectively it's nighttime nobody's doing anything so now they flip to their <laughs> werewolf side and then if 
at the end of a turn on their werewolf side, if two or more spells were cast, that means everyone's awake and doing things. And then you flip them back to their other side. Um, the sun went up. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it was such a, such a neat way um, of just like exploring that flavor. But then when you're playing, it introduced such an interesting mechanic of like, you, okay, you cast your werewolf dude. Then your next turn would go, you'd be like, okay, I have two options. One, I can continue casting stuff. Two, I can do nothing. And then he'll flip to his stronger form. But I have to be careful because then if my opponent casts a couple of things, then they can flip him back. But maybe they don't have two things to cast. But then, you know, and maybe it's just worth like getting the stronger thing now and saving my stuff for later. So um, they I mean, I think they pulled yeah. off both flavor and mechanics beautifully with that um, that entire set, really. So that, mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, if I'm thinking about a, a premier example of like fitting horror into a card game, it's Innistrad, which for anyone interested is coming back to magic around Halloween of next year when they're they're returning to Innistrad. Um, and they're splitting it into two sets, that. one that's focused on vampires and one that's focused on werewolves. I forgot to say vampires were black red in that set too. So they, they had vampires, ghosts, zombies, werewolves, they had everything. So it's very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. I'm excited for that new set. Cause I do, I do play on arena. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I've been playing arena since our arena podcast, um, just played it this morning and everything got my daily stuff done, but, um, Really, uh, really looking forward to seeing um, kind of what they do when they return to that sort of fan favorite set. The last time they returned to it, actually, they they at some point Magic created their own Cthulhu mythos, effectively with the Eldrazi, which are these like colorless mm. monstrosities from beyond time that like have come in and they cause insanity and madness. So they're very Lovecraftian, exactly what they're trying yeah. to do. And then when they return to Innistrad the first time they merged the Eldrazi into the Innistrad storyline. So um, it was it was stuff plus like doubling down on Cthulhu, right? Um, yeah. And I think they ended it by like having a planeswalker uh, put Emrakul, the big one, in the moon. Like sealed him in the moon there or something. <laughs> so um, and it's starting to get like yeah. Dragon Ball Z now, but <laughs> maybe someone's going <laughs> to blow up the moon. I don't know. Yeah, if if you're a fan of that kind of cosmic horror stuff, I cannot recommend any higher The Color Out of Space starring Nicolas Cage, which is based oh, on a great. Lovecraft short story. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, I've heard that's a great movie, and, and um, his acting is, like, very impressive in the movie. N now that he doesn't owe the IRS a bunch of money, he can, he can actually pick his scripts. He's having, like, a second renaissance. And as someone who is a huge Cage fan, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Okay, well, anyone have any other, like, horror themes and card games you want to add? It's tough when, Mike, you play, like, Dragon Ball Z games, and it's like, there's, there's, well, the, okay, Dragon Ball has, like, the the mummy bandages, right? Yeah! And yeah! The, the Baba the <laughs> Witch and stuff? <laughs> okay, not a lot there, though. Um, let's, there's uh, Gotenks ghosts. That's yeah. true. That's another one. <laughs> Mike, let's close this off. You had a few stories you wanted to tell, so let's. Um, I know you got to go in a few minutes, so we're going to wrap this up. But go ahead and give us your favorite story, horror story, um, to close out the podcast. I've got two. Okay. Uh, one. Uh, so the first one, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this one, but it was at a panini, uh, not a panini Z, but it was at a score Z event. It was when I first started going to major events, and it was actually at Worlds. And black when cat. I had my deck there, Spooky oh, kitty, black kitty, kitty, black kitty. Um, I had, uh, a Goku freestyle deck 
and I, I love playing my Goku Freestyle deck. Well, one of the things that it was my first major event, and what you learn is you really need to keep an eye on your cards. Um, because oh, just no, before, Mike. yeah, like it was just like not, it was about an hour or two before the world tournament actually started. Um, my deck was stolen. Um, the oh, good God. news. The good news was is the community came together really quick and literally went to players and rebuilt my deck in about an hour. And a lot of people just wow. donated cards. Um, even like uh, like some of the ultra rare cards, you know, just like huge discounts. Like they were maybe like a $75 card. They gave it to me for like 25 bucks is what it came to. So literally, I think I only lost out on like 100 bucks had my deck rebuilt. So um that that was a really bad horror story, but it was an experience and I learned it's like you gotta keep an eye on your cards. You go to an event, make sure you keep an eye on your stuff that's with you. Like that's why I got like my backpack and all that good stuff. So uh, that's not how those stories end most of the time. Usually it's I lost my deck and it's gone. Yep. Horror store horror movies don't usually have happy endings. Yeah. Now the second horror story, uh, I've said this a few times, but it is a horror story. But in the end, it was a great experience, and that's when I was at Kansas City, and I was in the top cut. Yeah, you guys are laughing, laughing, laughing. We have definitely told the story a few times on the podcast now. Top cut, man. Top cut, and I was just, yep, I had my blue Roshi deck, and I was just controlling that match. Oh, man, everything was, I was laying my Dragon Balls, like I was stealing his balls. I mean, it like I was just thinking to myself, <laughs> it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, when I win this match, and I'm just, you know, just total control against this uh, Piccolo. Feeling himself. Deck. Yeah, Piccolo and Mechian deck, and then it starts getting to time. I think we got like one more round, and I mean, I've got the. I'm looking right at my hand, like I've got the win right there. Like I, I have the, uh, you know, where I can with Roshi, like you use an energy, you shuffle it in your deck, and then you rejuvenate another card, put the pressure on my opponent. Nope, I just sat there and passed like a dummy for four turns. <laughs> I'm not going to do the wrong thing because I'm afraid he's going to have some unknown card that can just, he's going to play it and go, I win. So I'm just like, nope, I don't need to do anything. Well, I was wrong. And, uh, yep, Rich Bondi, got a call out, um, and just played it to a T. And then after we were done, we counted our life decks, and I was one card. One card less. This is a tiebreaker. Yep, you hate to see breaker. that kind of thing happen. One card, and he won. And I remember, like, I just did. Yeah, and then we we looked at each other, and I just told him, I said, "Dude, y'all played me. You literally yeah, stared me down. Like, I thought for sure, I like, I got this. You got to beat me. me. I got to beat you, and he beat me. And I'm just like, I. And I just remember looking at Dan and just shaking his head and looking down. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I just. Jordan, do you think do you think Mike failed to transition there from not losing the game to winning the game? That is correct. <laughs> yeah, bring that back a little. That's what that was, and I was like, oh, less than learned. that was a lot of fun though. That I married my wife that weekend. Well, I asked her to marry me that weekend. Kansas City was great, but that story, like, uh, you know, hey, I still have them on Facebook, and it's like that. I just every time <laughs> I, I'm like, oh. Man, if I just would have threw out that uh, energy attack and then shuffled in, and that's all I needed to do. 
That's all I needed to do. Let's do that. I mean, just threw that attack out. I just need to throw one attack out. But almost yep. got him. Yep. Well, oh, well. Boys, I think that will be a succinct wrap to a fun little episode talking about our horror stories and favorite horror themes and card games. Um, want to thank you guys all for listening to the Metamaniac show. Now, if you are listening to this, the week it comes out the next week, we will actually be off a little bit. It's a big week for me as I'm moving into a new house. Um, so we're going to be very busy and we're just going to kind of try and ease my move a little bit there. But the following week, I don't know what my setup's going to look like, but we are going to try our very best to be back at that point. Um, so uh, again, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform so you always catch when a new episode of the Metamaniacs show comes out. If you are a Patreon um, supporter or if you want to become one, we are going to be putting up a bonus episode for this month, um, this week as well. So make sure to... Oh my God, my cat is going wild right now. I'm pushing the <laughs> camera everywhere. Um, Ooh, scary. <laughs> let it's me a, try it's a poltergeist. That, yeah, make sure you uh, join us on Patreon for a little, as low as two bucks a month if you want to get access to the bonus episodes and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and otherwise, if you don't, that's all good too. We really appreciate you being here. And stay tuned for more TCG goodness on Metamaniacs and with the Metamaniacs show. Take care, guys. Stay tuned for season two. There we go. <laughs> Bye. Welcome to Prime Bye. Time. Bye.